Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. We're on the third chapter, and this is part 12. Now, if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. And there, for $5 a month, you can not only support this podcast, but also get access to additional exclusive Patreon-only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 3 continued. In the afternoon, the wind at last worked round to northeast by east, but by this time I wished it could have stayed where it was. I must jibe again, damn it, and just after six o'clock that evening, it has taken me all this time, one hour and fourteen minutes, just to get the pole-out sail down, get the pole down, unrig it, and nobble it on deck, plus coiling the ropes afterwards and unfouling the various of them twisted round each other. That heavy, repaired pole is an awkward customer in this fresh breeze. Now to continue. Fatigue was all through me and slowing up my reactions. I did not realise it, but it had been building up slowly over twenty days and nights of continuous racing. An hour later, I was trying to make up my mind what rig to wear. It is a pretty fresh breeze up forward. The wind on board was 24 knots, which made the true wind 29 knots from the northeast by north. The mizzen and topsail are doing all the driving at the moment. The only other sail up is the main staysail. A pole out is not wanted, thank heaven. Shall I hoist the number one jib? I will a brandy sip, which will the thinking box clear, maybe. And then later in the log, I'll have a wee snooze in meanwhile. I had a good sleep until I was awakened by a loud cannon bang at 2015. That noise always sends a shockwave through me, and my instinctive reaction is one of dread that something has crashed or smashed. But a rapid casing of the joint this time showed that it was only the topsail jibing. It could not stand doing that many times, so I changed the big wind vane for a smaller, less sensitive one. A tricky job, especially at night. The big vane, meant for light airs, had behaved wonderfully after I had strengthened it. It had taken endless punishment without failing, but in the lively wind it was now banging the helm constantly and rapidly from side to side, which in turn put the topsail at risk. While on deck, I did some other jobs, outhauling the topsail sheet to the mizzen boom end, trimming the main staysail, bagging up Big Brother and so on. It was quite a list. As so often happens, however, the sea had the last word. A Sousa wave swept aboard and some of the water shot through the cabin skylight, which I had raised a few inches. One of its victims was a jar of peanut butter, which I had left open in the galley when I dashed on deck, and this was now filled with seawater. I had not had time for a meal since breakfast, but could not be miserable about that, with Gypsy Moth going like a witch with this cut-down rig of only 850 square foot, the mizzen, topsail and main staysail. But the topsail is a powerful puller if its wind is not interfered with by the other sails, and now I have the wind I had hoped for right across the Atlantic, 30 knots from the northeast. Shortly after four o'clock the next morning, I woke with a feeling that Gypsy Moth was being dragged back by something, though the wind was registering up to 25 knots and she ought to have been going merrily. I hoisted the mizzen staysail, but still felt that something was not quite right. I'll try hoisting number one jib after an infusion, into me, of tea. Perhaps the wind is losing its drive, though still clocking up to 25 knots. This entry in the log shows clearly that I was losing efficiency through fatigue. I ought to have boomed out a running sail there and then. As it was, 
I hoisted the number one jib then and did not tackle the boom and the 300 until a quarter past ten when it took me nearly two and a half hours to get it set out to starboard. Pole wouldn't stand big runner again, I fear. Now must change veins again. This one cannot control us properly downwind in light airs. Of course, routine jobs such as observing the sun and navigating interfered with the act, but I would have taken much less time if I had not been fagged out. 21st day's run to noon fix on Tuesday the 2nd of February 1971. Distance fix to fix 199 miles. Calculated distance to finish 268 miles. This made a total for the last five daily runs fix to fix of 1,039.5 miles. It really looked as if I would have my 1,000 miles in five days this time. I calculated the great circle distance between the noon fixes at the start and finish of the five days. The distance was 982.25 miles. I was taken aback. It was like a blow in the face and at first I couldn't believe it. When I studied the chart I could see that the track over the past five days had had two dog legs in it. First on the port jibe, Gypsy Moth had borne down on the islands off Venezuela. Then she had had to jibe away to avoid the Curacao and Aruba Islands and the peninsula projecting into the Caribbean from Colombia. Finally, I had jibed again and headed south of west for San Juan del Norte. The six noon positions were not in a straight line, and the fix-to-fix straight line over the five days was 57 and a quarter miles less than the total of the five daily point-to-point straight lines. The Spanish main had done me down. I had lost distance by jibing away from it. I was not moping. I had all the time a feeling of excitement, as though I were treading lighter, This 200 miles a day for a single-hander instead of the traditional 100 miles a day average was something new and exciting in small boat sailing. Since I entered the Caribbean islands, I had had a feeling of excitement of being hard-pressed because of the speed. There always seemed to be a rush to complete the sun or planet sights and to navigate accurately. Islands and land seemed to rush up and it was difficult to get through all the routine work and yet sail the ship at its fastest and navigate accurately even with time spent on eating and sleeping cut to a minimum. At 19.35, I made the distance to my finishing point 207 miles, course 251. Gypsy Moth was sailing fast, having averaged 8.4 knots for the 7.5 hours since noon. The half knot under reading would have made that an average of 8.9 knots. At dusk, I tried for a star fix as more practice for the next night when I would be racing up to a lee shore, but cloud came up and hid all until it was too dark to see the horizon sharply enough for an altitude. Even if the sky had been clear, I would have probably have failed to get the fix because I had not prepared thoroughly for it. For the star fix to be a success, the stars must be picked up in daylight and the sights completed before the horizon becomes obscured by darkness. My do-it-yourself pole was not going to last much longer. The concertinering compression effect on the lashings had moved one pole against the other a little and so shortened the total length by a few inches. I thought it amazing how it had survived being up continuously, except for the last night, from when I first hoisted it. But it was hell to shift it from one side of the boat to the other and then lift the heel ten feet up the mast to the lug. On that morning, While I was shifting the pole across, Gypsy Moth took charge and came up to the wind at about ten knots with a big heel, and the sea invaded the lee deck. I feared I might lose the pole overboard, but managed to hang on until I had it in a safe position, and could leave it to set Gypsy Moth back on course again. At 0634 on the morning of Wednesday the 3rd of February, a four-star fix, 
using stars Rigel and Vega and planets Venus and Jupiter, put Gypsy Moth 117.5 miles off the finishing line after a speed made good since the previous noon of 202 miles per day. At 10.54, I took the first sun sight in preparation for working out the position for the final noon of the passage. Shortly after 11 o'clock, I got a clear RT link with a man whom I understood to be speaking from Managua, the capital of Nicaragua. Managua is about 200 miles inland. When he said that he could not contact Christopher Doll, who was supposed to be waiting for me in San Juan because there was no communication with that town, I was somewhat taken aback. My contact, whom I at first took to be captain of the port, said that the 50-foot ship Junior was coming out to meet me from San Juan del Norte. That was kind, but with the craft manned by sailors perhaps unused to yachts, would not this be fraught with bash-up possibilities? Towards the end of our talk, I discovered that I was actually speaking to a Captain Bartlett of a firm called Caribbean Marine, and that he was not at Managua, but at El Bluff, a port further up the coast from San Juan. He asked me to give him my noon position, and I arranged to call him back. All these arrangements struck home to me that I must set hard to work and clean up below, especially the galley and primus cooker, before I arrived. It is extraordinary how easily one can get rattled when fresh contact with the land is fast approaching after several weeks alone at sea. I hurried through the calculations for the sunfix and was shaken when it put Gypsy Moth 20 miles south of the DR position worked up from the planet fix at dawn. Sure that there was an error somewhere, I hurriedly took a third check shot of the sun. As soon as I started working it out, I spotted the silly mistake I had made using the ephemerides for the sun's position for the 2nd of February instead of the 3rd of February. Was I relieved to find it? A fix-to-fix -fix distance of 209 miles for the day made the sum total of the last five fix-to-fix -fix runs 1,058.5 miles, 19 miles more than the first five runs to noon on the 2nd of February. But there would still be the same kink in the track where I was avoiding the Spanish main, and I thought it was scarcely worthwhile calculating the point-to-point -point distance. When I did, though, I was astonished and delighted to find that the straight-line distance between the noon positions on the 29th of January and 3rd of February was 1,017.75. Gypsy Moth had done it. She had broken through the 200 miles per day barrier at last. Her average speed over the five days was 203.5 miles per day. I'd given up all hope of her doing it, and was taken completely by surprise. 22nd day's run to noon fix, Wednesday the 3rd of February 1971. Position, 11 degrees 34 minutes north, 82 degrees 47 and a half minutes west. Distance fix to fix, 209 miles. Total of fix to fix runs over the past five days, 1,058.5 miles. Distance made good over past five days, 1,017.75 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 59.5 miles. Now I was hard pressed. I had to clean up the boat, navigate, plan for carrying all sail until the last moment and then dropping it as quickly as possible, feed, sleep, charge the batteries and make another call to Captain Bartlett at 1,700 hours. First, the RT. This time it was a triangular call with Christopher Dahl taking the third part. When Captain Bartlett asked me about my plans and I told him that I would be unable to enter the estuary or cross the coastline at San Juan del Norte because the entrance was too shallow for Gypsy Moth's draft, he asked if I would come up to El Bluff where I could enter the port easily. 
I told him that I should be turning round as soon as possible and making for Panama. He sounded disappointed, but said nothing more. He was clear, intelligible, and his voice gave the immediate impression that he was practical and reliable. I was very impressed by him and felt sorry when he seemed disappointed. At 1600 hours, I had less than 38 miles to go. I could not carry the polled out runner after the RT talk. I'd kept it up longer than I should have done because I knew that Christopher Doll wanted a helicopter shot of Gypsy Moth sailing in, and he might have appeared at any time. But he was with the British ambassador from Managua, staying the night at a considerable distance northward along the coast from San Juan in a house on a banana plantation belonging to an Englishman who had a radio telephone. He began to unroll the most unexpected information for me. San Juan, which over the months had become a sort of El Dorado for me, was like an almost deserted mining town with rows of empty wooden houses from which the paint had all peeled off, facing dirt streets ankle-deep in boggy mud. There was no navigation lights anywhere at the harbour entrance or near it. The chart showed a big hospital on the shore to the north of San Juan, so I asked if I could get the hospital authorities to put a bright light in one of their seaward-facing rooms. He replied, There's no hospital now, and even if there were, it would be too late for me to get there. There was the silence of a hurried consultation. Uh, we could arrange a light for you 40 miles north of San Juan. I did not think that much good. I should have to do the best I could without any shore lights, and I did not like the prospect. I had already run 30 miles since the noon fix, which only left another 30 to go to the finish. With a 22.5 northeast by east tailwind, Gypsy Moth was driving too fast onto a lee shore. The coast waters were described as having strong, unpredictable currents. There were no radio beacons or radio aids of any sort, nor any navigational aids of any kind other than my echo sounder. Even that would be an uncertain protection. The sea bottom was so shallow off the coast that a depth of only 23 fathoms was charted 21 miles offshore, and 12 fathoms only 2.5 miles off the beach. Besides that, the chart survey had been made in 1836, and with the strong eddying currents for which this coast is notorious, God only knew what the sea bottom would be like now. With this tailwind, Gypsy Moth was fairly belting out the miles. I must drop the pole and running sail at once. But there was so much to do, and I must not have anything interfering with the star fix, which was now vitally important. Nightfall was at 1800 hours, and I shot the first star, Sirius, one minute before, followed by Capella. The sky was clouding up, and I could not snap Procyon until 17 minutes later. When I worked out the sights and plotted the position lines, they did not meet in a point. I had a cold feeling. It was fear. Gypsy Moth was racing at over eight knots towards an unknown, unlit shore in the dark, and I did not know for certain where I was. This, I told myself, is where you must keep your cool, otherwise you will have had it. I was not going to turn until I was definitely over my finishing line, but the prospect of driving onto the beach was a chilling one. I started to recheck my workings. It was no use hurrying, it must be done thoroughly. In the seventh line of the serious calculation, I found the mistake. This time, I had taken the value of the Greenwich hour angle of Aries for the 4th of February instead of the 3rd. This had made an error of 52 miles. After correcting it, the three star position lines intersected to form a cocked hat, which, though not as small as I would have liked, even on a large-scale chart, was small enough to be convincing. It showed the danger clearly. 
On her present heading, Gypsy Moth was 8.5 miles east of the finishing line, and this in turn was 5.3 miles from the shore at the entrance to the Corn River, where the chart read, Breaks across when little swell. By the time I had finished working out the three sites, finding the error in the serious calculation, then plotting the position lines, it was a quarter to seven, and Gypsy Moth sailing fast was only 4.5 miles from the finishing line. I had 35 minutes before she reached the finishing line, and 80 minutes before she hit the beach. The depth had already shallowed to 18 fathoms. I was up on deck as fast as I could get there. I had to drop the topsail and big jib to ensure easy control of the yacht and quick manoeuvrability so that I could spin Gypsy Moth round if she was suddenly in danger of grounding. The bottom here was mud and sand and the depth would always be changing with the scouring of the strong currents. I was thankful for the bright pools of light on the deck from the spreader lights above, though they seemed to intensify the thick darkness around me. There was nothing visible anywhere, either on the sea, in the direction of the land or even in the sky above, clouded with heavy overcast. There was something ominous and threatening about that night. It was the forerunner of one of the fierce northerly busters, which the Admiralty Sailing Directions described as a serious menace at this western end of the Caribbean Sea. By 1919, one hour and four minutes after the star fix, Gypsy Moth had run eight miles, and I reckoned she was half a mile short of the finishing line. It was nervy work driving towards the shore in the pitch dark with not a glimmer of light from land or sea or in the sky. I held to the same course for six minutes when I reckoned Gypsy Moth was a quarter mile over the line. I cannot describe the immense surge of relief which I felt when I put Gypsy Moth about onto the port tack close hauled and headed southeast by east away from that unseen shore. 23rd day's run from noon fixed to 1925 on Wednesday the 3rd of February 1971. Position 11 degrees 18 minutes north, 83 degrees 47 minutes west. The finish, distance fixed to fix, 59.5 miles. Well that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing. And we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's The Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out The Mariner there. And at the moment, we're on board with the 40-foot Trimaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs>